0: You may be seated, and when you are, please open your copies of God's Word to the book of Jonah. We are going to be embarking on a quest, looking for Christ even among this small book, a book that is familiar to us as well. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to read Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, so almost the entire chapter, And what we'll do, though, is afterward concentrate on just the opening verses, verses 1 through 6. Jonah, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy and inspired word. to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, "'What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish.' And they said to one another, "'Come, let us cast lots.' For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word, for the whole counsel of God, and we're grateful for this short book. Lord, you know that we are a diverse people of all ages, um, with all different backgrounds, um, all facing different circumstances. Lord, we would ask that you would use this, your word, and that you would help us to see Jesus in it, and that you would speak to each one of us, telling us just what you would have us to hear. Lord, we are counting on it. We need you. We'd ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder if you've heard of John Christostom. John Christostom is a giant in the Christian faith. Um, He becomes a pastor and he becomes known as one of Christianity's greatest preachers. He's often listed in the top five uh, preachers of, of all time. Uh, but his his life didn't uh, start out that way. He was, he was born in Antioch in 347 AD. And as I've said, the Lord gifted John with the ability to speak. Uh, he became known and he became loved for his eloquence. Uh, John began by serving the church as a reader and then as a deacon, And when the pastor of Antioch started making plans for his replacement, John's name began to be mentioned as a possible candidate. And this triggered a personal crisis in John's life. John heard that they were planning to seize him and force him to become a pastor, That might sound odd, but that was a normal part of church in the fourth century. Very often, congregations would press gang men into becoming pastors who believed that they were, uh, who they believed were suitable for the office. This is how St. Augustine becomes a pastor. And this... uh, was a terror to Christian men who, who didn't think they were worthy of the office or that they would be able to handle the pressures they face. Uh, John was horrified when he heard about the rumor, uh, when he heard the rumor about his fate. Um, so when he had heard that the church had decided to call him as their pastor, pastor and a press gang had been organized to ordain him, he hid himself. And and shortly after, John decided to flee the city of Antioch altogether, and he took refuge with the hermits of Mount Silpius. And we see something similar in the book of Jonah as it begins. When Jonah hears the word of the Lord, he flees. You can see that in verse 3. As the book opens... Jonah aims to teach his readers not to rebel against the Lord's will. He communicates this by relaying an autobiographical story of his rebellion. And and Jonah begins by telling his readers how the word of the Lord came to him. You can see that in verse 1. The first thing you see is the will of the Lord declared. That's our first heading, The Will of the Lord Declared. The book begins by providing us with Jonah's full name, and this enables us to learn more about his life. When did he live? What did he do for a living? What was his life like? What was going on in the world around him? You'll notice that verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. By giving us this clue, Jonah links the narrative to the history recorded for us in 2 Kings chapter 14. Would you please turn there with me to 2 Kings chapter 14? I'd like to start reading at verse 23. 2 Kings chapter 14, beginning at verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all of the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Leohamath, as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. From this crucial link, we discover the historical background for this narrative we find in Jonah. According to 2 Kings, Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II, who reigned from 786 to 746 BC. Jeroboam's long reign was characterized by peace and prosperity that rivaled the golden age of Solomon. And so that gives you kind of a picture of of the wealth and prosperity that Israel was enjoying as well as the peace. And you'll notice that the book of Kings connects Jeroboam's success with the fulfillment of the prophet Jonah's word that such would be the case. The success was indebted to God's compassion for Israel, you see that as well. God poured out his compassion and made his people prosperous, even though the text says that Jeroboam did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You see, Jonah was living in a time of great prosperity, and yet spiritually, they were dark and difficult times. It, it was a time of, of crisis, for God's people, Second Kings doesn't give a detailed explanation about Israel's spiritual state, but we can gain insight by turning to the prophets Amos and Hosea, who were contemporaries of Jonah. From Hosea, we learn that the pros- with prosperity came moral decay, and that's often the case. Israel began to grow cold in her love and devotion for God. As her love waned, she became unfaithful and she began to find her joy in other places. And from the prophet Amos, we learn that the rich and powerful were oppressing the poor. Amos denounces the people of Israel for their injustice and for their apostasy. He warns them about the disaster that will come if they continue in their unfaithfulness. It's in this context that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord that came to Jonah, that's a common expression in the books of the prophets. It's used over a hundred times, and it indicates what it meant to be a prophet. Prophets received direct communication from God, a word that contained a a message, divine revelation. But what God said to Jonah shocked him. It it repulsed him. It, It scandalized him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, "'Arise.'" Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. You see, this was unprecedented. This is the first time a prophet is commissioned to go and to preach to a foreign nation. Most prophets Deliver oracles of judgment addressed to foreign nations, but they did so rhetorically as part of their message to Israel. Jonah is being told to travel to Nineveh to deliver an oracle of doom directly to the nation in question. Maybe you could sympathize with maybe fear. Maybe a shaking of faith. This is truly unique. This this commission is breaking new ground in prophecy. And this was a major city in an enemy nation. Nineveh's association with Assyrian cruelty was well known. And their wickedness had reached such a critical point that divine inf, divine intervention was now Required. Plus, the whole point of prophecy in Israel is to warn of impending judgment, to encourage repentance, to avert disaster. And as far as Jonah was concerned, Nineveh didn't deserve the mercy and grace of God. That becomes clear as you read Jonah chapter 4 the word of the Lord came to Jonah's heart like a spotlight exposing need for change. God's word has a way of doing that kind of thing. It can divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, because it's sharper than any sword. It's like a powerful instrument that reveals where and when you are no longer willing to obey. And the word of the Lord still comes to us, each one of us, today not like the prophets who received direct revelation, but through the Bible. God speaks through his word. What is he telling you? What has he been telling you? And what are you going to do? How will you respond? When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he decided to run we see the will of God disobeyed. That's our second heading. The will of God, or the will of the Lord, disobeyed. The United States uh, military has long prided itself on being an um, all-volunteer force, and data from around the world has proven time and time again that volunteer soldiers routinely outperform and outfight conscripted soldiers. But sometimes service is too much of a burden or a recruit realizes that military life simply isn't something that they are cut out for. Perhaps a soldier objects to being sent to a combat zone either out of cowardice or on grounds of morality. For many reasons these soldiers come to a solution that is a drastic one, to go AWOL or absent without leave. Between 2001 and 2012, during the height of the global war on terror, approximately 50,000 U.S. service members went AWOL, either permanently or for short amounts of time. The military defines AWOL status as not being where you're ordered to be at the time instructed to be there. So technically, being late to formation can count as being AWOL. And overwhelmingly, most soldiers go AWOL uh, for completely unintended reasons, such as bad travel plans or they're AWOL uh, only by a day or two, and then they return to their unit. Some, however, go AWOL with the intention to leave the military permanently. Well, as our text continues, we see that Jonah has decided not to report for duty. Consider verse 3. The Lord said, Arise, go to Nineveh. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, if if you're like me, you probably picture Jonah leaving within the first minute or two just after receiving God's command, but that's not likely the case. He probably agonized over what to do for days, maybe weeks. He started calculating various scenarios. Eventually, he decided that his life in Israel was over. He was going to change everything. He settled his accounts. He, He began settling his affairs and he gathered his life savings. You see, he was going to move as far away from the Lord as possible. Jonah decided that he was going to go to Tarshish to completely change his life You might know that the precise location of Tarshish is uncertain. But it's likely a city that's also referred to Tarsesus in southwest Spain. Most important than its exact uh, location, or more important than its exact location, is that Tarshish, in general, was west. It was in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, Tarshish was at the very edge of Israel's geographical awareness. It, it was as far as you could get. According to Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 21, a round trip to Tarshish took three years. The point is, Jonah was determined to start over to get far away, as far away as he could from his old life. Verse 3 says that Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Do you see that phrase, from the presence of the Lord? you see it there in verse 3? It says it twice, doesn't it? At the beginning and at the end of the verse... The phrase is even repeated again in verse 10. A literal translation of this phrase would be Jonah rose to flee from the face of the Lord. What did he mean by this? Jonah knew that it was impossible to escape the presence of the Lord. God is omnipresent and omniscient. Jonah knew that. God is, is everywhere present. He has control of every corner of this universe. He knows what is going on everywhere. God's not only aware of every geographical location, he's also cognizant of every thought and intent of the heart. Jonah was well acquainted with the Psalms of David, and he knew Psalm 139. God's word says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, if you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. If Jonah knows he can't escape the presence of God, what did he mean by telling us that he ran from God's presence? Well, prophets had the solemn privilege and responsibility of standing in the Lord's presence and witnessing his divine counsels, his courts. The prophet Mekiah describes this experience in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 19 through 23. Prophets were summoned to stand in the courts of the Lord and await their orders. You see, Jonah is abandoning his station. He's renouncing the office of prophet. He no longer wants to stand in the Lord's presence. Sometimes we find our will and desire in direct conflict with God's. And your temptation might be to flee. Maybe not literally, but, but spiritually. And so you draw back. You stop reading your Bible like Jonah who flees Israel. You stop going to church. And like Jonah, you decide to re- surround yourself with non-believers. You distract your heart and your mind with the cares and concerns of the world so that even though God is at the back of your mind, at least He's not on the forefront of your mind. You spiritually go to Tarshish. Jonah wants you to learn from his mistake. Don't flee. Well, as the narrative continues, you see that Jonah makes his way to Joppa and he boards a ship to Tarshish. And it's here that you see the Lord's will deployed. That is our third heading the will of the Lord deployed. Have you ever heard of reverse psychology? Of course, of course you have, right? Reverse psychology is the strategy of subtly suggesting that a person does one thing in the hopes that they'll do just the opposite. And according to psychologists, reverse psychology works because when people feel pressured, to act a certain way, they try to do the opposite to assert their autonomy and to increase their sense of self-control. We're such predictable and strange creatures. We're told to do one thing and we stubbornly do the opposite. And we see something similar in our text. God tells Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh. But instead of getting up and going to Nineveh, Jonah goes down, down, down away from the Lord and Nineveh, and it's going to cost him dearly. Our text says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, Joppa was a port city that served as the main way station for travelers to that region, both travelers and merchants. And in the 8th century, Joppa was not in Israelite control. It was in the possession of the king of Eshkelon. So Once Jonah arrived, he intermingled with the Gentiles, and he searched for a ship that would take him to Tarshish. And once he found one, Jonah had to pay for his passage. And he hired the ship and its crew for the long journey before boarding. Ancient Jewish tradition tradition suggests that Jonah had to rent the entire ship for his journey. And the Hebrew text describes Jonah as paying for her hire. This is the word it uses. The implication is that Jonah, in his haste, hired the entire ship and its crew for his journey rather than simply paying the fare for a seat. Many of us have learned the hard way that disobedience is awfully costly in more than one way. Once Jonah paid for the fare, he boarded the ship and the crew brought his belongings on board. He watched the crew go into action and before long, the ship was weighing anchor and heading out to sea. Jonah likely watched the port of Joppa disappear over the horizon and then headed below deck to put his things away, and once he was done, he rolled over on his mat, and he fell into a deep sleep, perhaps from sheer exhaustion caused by the emotional toll of, of leaving your entire old life and, and from running away from God. Draw your attention to verse four. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps a God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Parents, what would you do if your child ran away, got into a car with a group of strangers, and you knew right where the car was? I mean, you would go there and you would intervene, right? I know you would. You would do one of those pit maneuvers, knock the car from moving straight, or you would block it off. Consider what God does. Verse 4 says that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. God used nature like a weapon in order to bring the ship into submission. The crew began jettisoning the cargo to lighten the ship, but when all hope was lost, they began calling out to their gods. And when the captain went below deck, he was shocked and he was annoyed to find Jonah asleep. Jonah woke up with the helmsman shaking him violently and yelling, arise, call out. Jonah recognized these words instantly. These are the exact same commands that the Lord had given him concerning Nineveh. This was no coincidence. This was no coincidence. The Lord had come for him. He had found Jonah. This reminds us of Luke, chapter 15. Jesus described the character of God, saying that he is like a shepherd. And when one of his sheep is lost, the Lord goes after the one who is lost until he was found. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. The Lord, in his mercy has come to rescue Jonah for himself. But it's going to be painful. Sometimes God's children undergo corrective discipline that comes directly from his love. His plans concerning his children are always, are always thoughts of good, of blessing even for those like Jonah, who have rebelled against him. Again, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus describes the character of God by telling the parable of a father and his prodigal son. He compares God to a father who not only opens his arms to receive his rebellious and wayward son, But is one who runs out to him before his son can even return. As the book of Jonah opens, we witness the Lord command Jonah to cross Israel's border and to do something unprecedented. He wants Jonah to travel to Nineveh, and to condemn it for its evil and call them to repentance. We see that the Lord's mercy extends well beyond Israel's borders and well beyond Jonah's comfort zone. And when you look at Jonah's behavior, maybe your first reaction is shock. Maybe you're appalled And then you begin to realize that each one of us act like him at times. It's kind of like when you look at the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. You can't believe how ungrateful they are. How quick they are to forget. How unfaithful they are. And then you realize, wait, Wait, this is how we behave. This is the church. This is you and this is me. I behave like this. I rebel against the Lord's commands. And then you remember Jesus, the one who caused his disciples to marvel and ask, who is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. And you recall how like Jonah, he came to rescue you by atoning for your sins on the cross. How he came to you in your rebellion and how he reached his hand out to you. And when you remember the Lord's mercy and compassion, you draw near and you worship. As the book of Jonah opens, you see the will of the Lord declared, disobeyed, and deployed. And you learn that you should respond faithfully to the will of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you've given us the book of Jonah. We can see that even a man with a high office like that of a prophet struggles like we do. And we see, Lord, that even when he struggles and when he's failing and running the opposite way, you don't let him go and destroy himself, but you go and you chase him down in your love and in your mercy Lord, we would ask that you would continue to do the same for all of us, that you would help us to heed your commands, especially when we look and we say, well, this one is hard. Lord, we pray that you would give us the desire, the love for you that would overcome any resistance against your will. Lord, that you would empower us, that we would obey And Lord, when we are struggling, we would ask that you would come and save us from ourselves. We'd ask, O Lord, all of these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.